Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 206, and today's guest is Peter McKay, CEO of Sneak. Peter has a tremendous track record of success as a CEO for fast-growing tech companies and scaling them to a successful exit. He's done it several times, and Sneak is on pace to become another anchor tech company. What's interesting to note about Peter's background is the fact that it was a career pivot from a role as a controller into tech sales that helped catapult his career into an executive leadership role. Sneak is a developer-first security company that helps software-driven businesses develop fast and stay secure. The company announced $200 million in funding last September at a valuation that was greater than $2.6 billion. And this is fresh off the heels of announcing $150 million just nine months prior. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like the three basic principles that Peter follows as a leader, the story of Peter's career transition to tech sales and his quick ramp into a leadership role, a journey through all the companies that Peter had the opportunity to lead, like eCredit, Watchfire, Destone, and Veeam Software, all the details on Sneak and the massive market opportunity for the company, plus growth plans ahead, advice on advancing your career towards a CEO position, how to get on the radar for board of director roles, and so much more. Okay, quick side note. This week's episode is sponsored by MarketMuse, a content intelligence platform that sets the standard for content quality. Their AI-powered software enables companies to create predictably better content at scale that increases traffic and engagement, improves productivity, and drives revenue. Get more out of your content with packages starting at just $79 a month, Plus, you can get 10% off select packages by using our code FIZZ20 at checkout. Go to marketmuse.com to get started. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Peter. Peter, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's great to be here, Keith. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you because you have just such a great, successful track record of growing companies at such a large scale in the Boston tech scene. I mean, these are companies that most people are going to recognize as we go through your career journey. But uh, before we get into all that, let's, one of the things I thought that was pretty interesting was on your LinkedIn profile, you talk about, and obviously if this is on your LinkedIn profile, it must be something that you, you take you know, near and dear to your heart. There's three basic principles you follow as a leader. So, so what are those principles and kind of like, what does that, these you know, statements mean to you? Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I always, you know, I never, for me, it was always about lead by example. You know, if you want people to act and do things a certain way, then show them by what you do. You know, it's not a, it's not necessarily about what you say, uh, you know, it's about what you do and your actions uh, speak louder than, than your words. So lead by example, you know, you want, you know, I always say never be the, never be afraid to take out the trash. Right. Uh, and so that's what I've always tried to follow. Um, always be learning. You know, I've 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 kind of focused on um, just in every place I go, I'm learning new things. I, I know my strengths. I know my weakness. I always try to find, you know, how do I get better at the things that I'm not so good at? And how do I be, you know, be the best version of myself every day? And so that's always learning. And then, you know, I always have this analogy, uh, you know, if I'm not falling, I'm not skiing aggressive enough. So take risks, you know, push yourself, you know, get out of your comfort zone and, uh, and try to do things differently and do different roles. You know, I started as an accountant and I ended, then I went into sales and then I went into marketing. So, you know, just step out of your comfort zone and you'll be shocked at the things you could do. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, it's such great advice. And it's actually reminds me like, I have two daughters, 14 and 16, and it's these types of principles and values that I try to instill with them. Oh, too. God, yeah. Especially just that confidence, you know, just go out there and try it. You'll be surprised. You know, people think that the barriers, the walls are here when they're actually here. No, go keep pushing the limits and see what you can do. And uh, I just found probably the biggest thing in my career is just, you know, pushing people to be kind of well outside of their comfort zone and they get, you know, they're shocked at what they're capable of. If they're just, you know, a little push, you know, kind of go and, and see what you can do. Well, let's rewind the clock. So where did you grow up? What were you like as a child? <laughs> I grew up in North Attleboro, and I don't know if I could say what I was like as a child. I think uh. I was one of those kids that just couldn't sit still. You know, I think today they would have diagnosed it as ADD or whatever, but, you know, I was always moving. You know, I always had something going on. Uh, I love sports, uh, probably probably more than I liked school. I liked the sports angle, you know, football, basketball, baseball, track. I did everything. Um, I enjoyed it. I, it was probably the competitive uh, nature. So grew up with, with six kids uh, all and wow. still today, we're all within about, I don't know, seven miles of each other, uh, all That's in awesome. and around the, you know, the, the outskirts of Boston. So um, yeah, so uh, I moved around for CA and jobs over the years, but now I'm back. It's kind of a split the difference between where I grew up in North Attleboro and where my wife grew up in, uh, and a little bit north of here. And so we're, we're kind of right in the middle. Okay, so you highlighted this already a little bit. So you did study accounting and finance at Northeastern and you started out in that direction coming out of school, correct? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I, I kind of, you know, I in college, I had to pay my own way to college, you know, it kind of, you know, Northeastern was great because you can work and pay and work and pay and work and pay. And so the, where they were paying were accounting jobs, I could get it in accounting jobs. So it wasn't as much of a, geez, I grew up, I want to be an accountant, you know, <laughs> it wasn't that yeah. it was that this was the jobs that I had. And I was pretty good with numbers. And I just kind of fell into it. And it just led to another and another and another. Then the next thing I know, I'm a controller. I'm like, how did I get here? Like, you know, is this what I want to do for my, you know, for my career? And I'm, I just remember the day I was writing these, you know, signing these checks for these salespeople. And I saw how much money I was paying commission to salespeople. I'm like, I'm in the wrong job. I can do what these guys do. And I said, so I made a a pretty significant career change from controller to, you know, the bottom of the barrel salesman, salesperson. And, uh, and I just kind of grew it from there. It was, um, I didn't know I wanted to be a CEO at the time. I just knew I wanted to keep trying to do new things and, you know, bring it on, get outside your comfort zone, just try, constantly trying to learn new things. And it was kind of in, in, I guess in my, in my gut, I knew it was going in the right direction. But I didn't necessarily know what the destination was, which I think is probably pretty normal, maybe at the time. Yeah. Well, so how did you get your first break into sales? Because I, like, I remember, like, so I early on in my career was at KPMG as a tax consultant. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to get into software, and I thought sales was my path, but no one would take a risk on me because I had no sales experience. So I ended up in recruiting, which ended up working out well. But uh, so, 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 what was your first sales job, and like, who was who was the one that, like, or how did you get mentored? Yeah, so I mean, this is a this is a story I tell sometimes that how I get started. So I wanted to get out really badly. I wanted to get into sales, sales, and someone said, "Well, you know, you really want to get in at the time." Computer Associates was, uh, you know, it was kind of a bigger name and and software, and 
and, and I get someone introduced me to this one person that uh, Jerry Sakata, I remember his name, and he uh, and he said, come on in an interview. And I came in an interview. He said, you're not ready. The time is not right. Just, you know, talk to me next Monday. So I called him next Monday. He's not ready. Next Monday. And for one year, I called him every Monday and I sent him a resume, sent him another letter, sent him a resume. And so one day I called him after a year, I called him and he wasn't there. And there was a new person there. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I just spent a year calling this guy and he quit. And now it's like, and then within a week later, I got this call from this one guy who said, I want to come, I want you to come and meet with us. And so I'm like, okay. And I went in and he said, uh, you know, I want to interview for the sales job. And I said, why? I mean, I've been calling for a year and nobody called me back. Why did you call me? And he pointed to this stack of those pink, you know, those messages and all these resumes and all these notes. He said, anybody who wants the job that bad deserves the job. And Absolutely. he gave me the job on the spot. And that was my break. I never looked back from there. So that's my sales. That's my transition. Well, and then you had a very fast trajectory, it looked like. So how did you ramp up your sales experience to the point of, you know, taking on leadership roles? Yeah, well, when I was a controller, I had a team of 60 some odd people working for me. So, you know, rarely does salespeople have experience of managing 60 people, albeit, you know, accountants and, you know, payables and receivables and, and all that. So I had the experience. I just didn't have the sales experience. So, you know, I think it was nine, 10 months or so, you know, I did, I did well because I, the other part of the story was it was selling financial applications and ERP applications to controllers. So it wasn't as tough of a transition. So I did really well because I could easily go in and say, look at, I was once you, now I'm selling and here's what you need. And so it just allowed me to get started faster and, um, and then, you know, I just kind of grew from there. I, I think success and then I moved into management and then I, I just moved up from there. So from CA, then after that, you ended up at, is it PTC? PTC, yeah. Okay. yeah. What, what did you do there? So the PTC, they had, uh, they had made an acquisition um, of, a com of computer vision and they, they built, uh, they had this product that was called Windchill, which was kind of the kind of the future of PTC. And, and so I came in, like at that time, coming out of CA, I wanted to be a CEO, like I wanted to just do it. And John McMahon and Dick Harrison convinced me that this was a startup within a well-funded company. Like, you got to come here because, you know, you're going to be over here and you're going to be on your own and you're going to build this big business and you're going to do global and you got all the money. And so, you know, I said, OK, I'm going to go do that. That sounds interesting. It's less risk than just if I just went out and did it. And, and in hindsight, I learned a lot. PTC was a great experience, great company. Um, the teams were, were, were awesome. But ultimately, I just wanted to go do, do my own and run my own. And, and so uh, that's what I did. I kind of, you know, not too far into my PTC journey, I realized that, you know, I just want to do my own thing. You know, I want to run my own company. I want to, you know, make my own mistakes. And I want to recruit my own people and my own culture. And, and that's what eCredit allowed me to do. So, so, you know, I guess maybe that, GM experience kind of translated into that CEO role because it's like kind of like going from a controller to a sales job. You need someone to say, "Hey, yeah, we, we we are going to take you on as a CEO of a company." Whereas you didn't actually have CEO experience, but as a no. GM, it was relatable. 
it was it was um and plus i think a lot of times when you know at e-credit it was really about you know scaling the go-to-market and that was kind of my strength you know the, the go-to-market side of things and and uh you know how to scale rapidly and that was kind of dot-com era which was kind of a great time to be in it I remember the brand because it was like a wasn't it an icg back company yeah, ICG. Well, they came in and, and bought a bulk of that business, um, uh, you know, towards, I don't know, a year and a half into the journey. And it was, you know, a huge, uh, a huge exit at the right, you know, at the right time before the market actually, you know, crashed and burned. But uh, what a great experience. It was the, it was just um, massive growth and you know, I think really lend to a lot of the moves I've made over the, after that with just knowing great talent and um, building of teams and, and scaling quickly. So every role that I've had has really taught me a lot. You know, I always kind of, that's kind of my, you know, my backpack of all these experiences that I've had over the years that you just bring with you for a lot of times it's, it's the mistakes you make, you know, along the way, but uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, it's the things you did, you did well that, uh, you know, you want to, you want to do better the next time. Yeah. Yeah, And I always like to connect the dots from the, web 1.0 version companies to what that would compare to today. So e-credit, what was the, the business model of that company? Uh, it, it was instant credit decisions. Uh, so think about a bank going to get, you know, going to get a mortgage on the bank and you got to talk to somebody. We automated that. So you can do it all online, you know, get your credit decision within like, you know, 15, 20 seconds, you pull your DMB, fair eyes, pull that data, run it through a decision engine and say you're approved for, you know, three hundred thousand uh, dollar mortgage. Uh, all of it, no touch. That's we were the decisioning engine that did that for, you know, most of the companies early on. So it was, it was, uh, it, but it didn't start that way. You know, that's it's a great example of the way you start and the way you evolve are totally different. I mean, we started as a credit and collection software that sat on a desktop for these credit analysts that sit in the basement of a company. And we did, you know, the, the group, I mean, we just got together and said, what can we do with this company? And we said, why don't we take that engine and put it in an e-commerce transaction and make it instant instead of having to touch a human. And, you know, we optimized it and uh, Venkat Srinivasan, who was the founder, was awesome. And it was just a great, it's a great, you know, how all the pieces came together to really make it a great company. So what did you learn from that kind of first stint as a, as a CEO? Uh, oh, a lot, a lot. You know, I think one of the things you tended to shield the team a little bit more of, oh, that's, you know, that when the, when bad things were starting to happen, the market was, you tended to, the, you know, cushion the blow a little bit. And, you know, I remember just a tremendous amount waiting on me on just the stress of having to manage and, you know, downsize a little bit as you're going. And, and I learned, you know, I learned from that experience that look at, I mean, the strength of the team is good times and in bad. And, you know, if you're worried about stuff, everybody should be worried about stuff. You know, don't, don't be afraid to share, you know, what you're worried about with the, with the others on your team. And, you know, it makes the team stronger. And, um, you know, I had a strong team, but I was always worried about, you know, uh, you know, can they handle it? Can they take it? Uh, you know, are they gonna, you know, are they gonna react negatively? And, you know, I think in hindsight, you know, I probably would have been, you know, sharing a lot more with them at that time and, you know, getting, 
uh, you know, more involvement. I'm not sure, sure it would have, you know, I think the outcome was ICG was kind of bringing it into kind of more of their portfolio. So, um, but it was a good, uh, you know, I learned a lot through that experience. And just like, you know, every first CEO goes through this, you know, a lot of the similar mistakes you know, on the first, you make less the second, even less the third. And now I'm what, fourth or fifth and I'm still making mistakes. So I'm not sure you ever get away from, you know, cause everything's new. Every, every CEO opportunity is dramatically different than the one before. You can't play books and, you know, you know, things that you've done in your past don't always apply to the next and the next. Sneak is in, incredibly different than Veeam and Deathstone and Watchfire and eCredit. They're all different. Well, yeah. So from uh, eCredit, you went to Watchfire, which was a successful exit to IBM. So what, yes. what space were they in? Was it security? They were application security, similar to where we are now uh, at Sneak, but, um, but a very different approach. So built it up as um, really a online risk. So it's you know, how do we prevent, um, you know, websites and applications from being hacked uh, by, you know, somebody trying to get access to data. And so that was my first step into security. I think that's the other uh, thread throughout. You know, I did everything. I, you know, I didn't never wanted to do the same industry twice, even though I am doing it the second time. So I guess, you know, on the security, I love security. I love the space. I think it's, I find it really, really interesting, but I always try to learn and do a different models and different, different industries. So Watchfire was application security for the biggest of big companies to the smallest of small. It would, think of it as a hacker in a box. Um, you know, we started, we built a global business um, all on the backs of really helping companies protect their website. And IBM bought it. Uh, because they wanted to scale it even faster and, and embed it into all their applications they were building and their software that they were pulling together, rational software, you know, building security into that process. Um, that, that, that really, that was what really drove the uh, IBM buying uh, Watchfire. So uh, somewhere within this time frame, you started to also um, get involved as a board of directors for other yeah. companies too. So how, how does that transition happen? Because I think that's another question that people often wonder, like how do you even get kind of in the queue of, you know, being on a board of directors? Yeah, you know, it's a great, it's a great question. I, you know, I always, you know, I, I think important part for everybody to, 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 to think about is, you know, I didn't appreciate as much kind of the, the network you know, uh, building a network of people, you know, I always say surround yourself with a board of directors, your own board of directors, people who compliment you. Um, and then you be the board of directors for others as well. And, and that's what I did. I really, I wasn't looking to be a board member. I think I even started mostly as an advisor. And then they said, look at you're adding a lot of value. Would you want to be on the board? And it kind of evolved that way. It, it was really about, you know, a lot of things that I can do, sharing my experience, mentoring, being a true independent board member for them to help them from most of them are financial investors that are board members. So I was kind of that, you know, independent voice. Um, and so I think, the company's got a lot out of it, but but the hidden gem in that was I got a ton out of it as well. I mean, I learned, you know, different ways of thinking about things. I've learned, uh, you know, different models and approaches and styles. And every board member, I, every board I've been in, um, I've I've learned a ton, and I've taken what I've learned to help the company I was in. And so, 
uh, it's not just about you helping a company. Um, and I encourage people to do that, to be an advisor, even in, you know, sneak, I encourage the managers to go and associate yourself with other companies to help them. But also we get the benefit of all those companies you're working with to make us better. And we should be able to carve the time out of your schedule to be able to do that. And so it's, it's been tremendous. And I have had, uh, you know, a lot of uh, good fortune to be associated with great CEOs um, and along the way, along the way uh, that it's been a tremendous spot fire. Uh, Nasuni, uh, 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 Skycure, really good companies that I've, I've been associated with. It's been a lot of fun. Well, and then, so continuing down the CEO path. So uh, Destone was the, was the next stop, which was acquired by VMware. Yeah. Yeah. So it was virtual desktop. So this was probably... You know, what was unique about Destone was first off VDI, like I never knew virtual desktops, you know, desktops in a cloud, right? Which right now in COVID was perfect, mm-hmm. right? Because everybody had to work from home and you had to, you know, VPN into an office. I mean, that was back then. And so it, it was probably the, the least amount of, I think it was no revenue or small revenue when I started. So it was kind of a almost founding team kind of building that business up from from scratch, which is something I haven't done. Uh, I hadn't done up to that point. So built it up, new market, new category, all that. And, um, you know, built a, a good uh, brand around uh, virtual desktops in the cloud. And, and, you know, so much so we started partnering with VMware and then VMware uh, acquired uh, Destone. And uh, I always said, I started, I started at VMware in the mailroom. I worked my way up. But, you know, it was kind of like VDI, VDI in their end user computing group that was part of kind of the software group. And, you know, it was uh, it was just a great from all the way through from Destone all the way four years at VMware was an amazing journey. So, how, again, another sidestep here. How do you know what companies to join as a CEO? Like you just talked about the wide range of technology. So it's not like you just stayed in your lane of one particular like security, right? You yeah. talked about e-credit being, you know, uh, you know, credit check software for mortgages and things like that. Watchfire application security, Destone for, you know, virtualization. Uh, so how do you know where to place your, because to be CEO of a company and to get to a positive exit, it takes a lot of blood, sweat and tears to get there. So how did you know which companies to, to, associated yeah. with. I, lear- I learned a lot. So first off, I love to learn new things. So, you know, learn, can I learn here? Yes. No. Um, you know, investors are critical in that. Like, who are you really working for? You know, mm-hmm. do you like the investors? And I, I had Peter Bell, Ron Fisher, you know, from Highland and, and uh, SoftBank there. And so really good um, investors. Um, and, uh, and I thought I could really make a difference. What they, what they needed was what I could provide. And so, you know, fit investors, um, what I thought could be a big company solving a big problem. Uh, and that's what I looked for. And, you know, it's one of those where, you know, Keith, it's, it's um, you know it when you see it. You know, I always say, well, describe the right fit. It's like, look at, you know, I'll know it when I see it, when it feels right to me. And I, you know, all the pieces need to line up. That's right for the individual. And what's right for me is probably not right for some other other CEOs looking for jobs. It just happened to be the right one for me. 
And I was never caught up with the hype of, oh, it's a, it's their A company, it's a B company, a C company, it's their, their best investment that they made in their portfolio. Every VC says that. So you discount all of that. You ultimately, you got to make your own assessments and, and take a risk. The only thing you'd say is, you know, the, the big, the big issue is it's kind of like the captain of the ship, you know, you've got to go with it all the way through, you know, there's no, you know, it's very, you, know, you pretty much kill a company when the CEO leaves in an early stage. Um, and so you gotta, you know, you gotta, you gotta finish the journey, you know, investors are look for liquidity at some point in time, either an IPO or an exit or something. And your job is to return that money to them as fast, as big as it can be, as fast as it can be. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the logic in some of this stuff. And so you just got to know you've got a clock that's ticking and, uh, and you, need to, you need to increase shareholder value as quickly as you can to give the investors the return they're looking for and the employees and everybody else along the way. And so, you know, those are things that you have to, you know, assess before going in. Well, before we talk about Sneak, let, there's one more stop, Beam. So what, what, was, what did that company do and kind of where were, were they at when you joined? Yeah, so I had uh, so I had grown up through in I spent four years at VMware. I, I was the general manager of uh, the Americas for VMware, and you know one of the names I kept on hearing at VMware was this partner Veeam, 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 and, and so you know the founder of, of Veeam reached out to me and said, "Look, at, we want you to run the company," and and he was. Um, uh, Veeam was uh, number one in virtual backup. So obviously VMware was the number one in virtual machines and Veeam was basically followed uh, VMware and grew on the backs of VMware. Uh, VMware should have bought them many years before, but they didn't and it grew. Um, and it was number one VMware backup. So I knew, and this was kind of an interesting kind of where we are today to then, all roads at VMware led to Palo Alto. It was very much a Palo Alto-centric company, and I was never going to move to Palo Alto. I was in Boston. I was here at that point in my career. I wasn't going to move. So I kind of knew it was a little bit of a dead end. The next role would have been worldwide sales for VMware, and I didn't. I couldn't move. So I knew I, at some point I was going to move on. Um, and and then Veeam said, "Come on in. We want to scale this business. We want to grow it." And and it was, you know, kind of the right fit at the right time to kind of run a business. I think there were. 350, $375 million business. And, you know, over the next, um, you know, just over two and a half, three years, um, you know, I think it, when I left, it was 975. So, you know, a massive scale, massive ramp, you know, great people, great individuals, um, a lot of good friends still, still uh, part of that journey, Um, but high burnout, you know, after that, that was kind of like, you know, you know, when you get in and you know, when it's time to get out. And it was, you know, for me, I just needed to, I was going from Deathstone to VMware to Veeam and I just needed a, I needed a break. I was, I was pretty fried. All right. Well, let's talk about your current company, Sneak. So there's a, a Watchfire connection here, right? As far as yes. the, the history of the company, the founding story. Yeah. So um, uh, Guy Pajani, the founder of, of Sneak was the CTO of uh, Watchfire. And so uh, you know, we had a very close team at, at Watchfire. Um, the founder of Watchfire and Guy set out another company, Blaze, which was acquired by Akamai, a Boston company. And so I was on the board of Blaze, an investor in Blaze. And so I stayed connected with the team. And then um, Guy was the CTO of Akamai, then left to start Sneak. 
I was an investor in Sneak, for early you know seed investor. I was an advisor. Then I became the first board member. So you know, over the five and a half years of Sneak, I've been kind of involved in that whole journey, albeit from investor slash board member. And so I you know watched the business grow. Very much a different approach than than Watchfire in that Watchfire built a security tool for security people. Sneak built a security tool for developers, you know, embedding security into the software development lifecycle. And it was just like, you know, well before this concept of embedding it in, you know, it was really early. It was this product led growth, bottoms up, you know, community of developers that led to freemium that led to paid and kind of grew. So it was a very unique model doing, you know, some really incredible things. And, uh, it's been it's been a, a tremendous journey. I think our our four year Kager has been two hundred and forty percent growth, and so wow. it's been a yeah. We added one hundred and fifty people in the last twelve months, and we'll probably add another one hundred and seventy five people in the next twelve months. So it's been going it's been going great. It's kind of a you know open source security, container security, infrastructure as code security is you know, huge uh, in all these application development shops. And, and, you know, we're the only one that does developer first security. And like, how did you figure out like the go to market for that? Because it was a different model as far as getting the software out there and it's, you know, getting it to scale and, you know, like ultimately working with the developer community is very different than other pieces of businesses that you may sell into. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think this is one of those lessons that, um, you know, I, I always caution people, sales managers, you know, you know, it used to be everybody would have these blueprints. This is how I do it. I do it this way. And then we do it. We structure forecast this way. Go to market needs to look like this. Reps need to look like this. Everything needs to look like this. And I just said, you know, don't do that. Like that's, that's not the right, because every company has a different approach. You really have to understand the the profile of the buyers and the users, and to truly study that before you go and kind of set your ways. V Veeam was very different than VMware. VMware was top-down, big-ass deals, ELAs, um, you know, long-term relationships. Uh, you know, Veeam was more transactional, 100% channel. Uh, driven, very, very different model for, for me. And I learned, like I wanted, to, I went to Veeam because I wanted to learn that model because they grew so, so incredibly fast that, that I wanted to learn. Sneak was another very different. It was all bottoms up. It was this developer adoption. All I had to do to, to, to help because that was all in place. The guy and Ethan and the, the sales team really grew this kind of, this motion that, that, um, that built this bottom up and this inside sales machine that just followed up on everything that, that came to them. The only layer that we put in was this top down that said, look at you landed in you know, all these different parts around Salesforce. Uh, don't you think maybe we can probably do an enterprise deal with them because you know, we've landed in all these places. And so it's this marrying of the bottoms up top-down kind of channel and influence, which is basically almost everything that I've done in my career all coming together in this one um, is, is what makes it kind of special, very unique from, I think, most companies out there that really have this product-led growth model that bottoms up and top-down. Yeah. And that's like, you know, I, I listen to a lot of other podcasts and VCs and, you know, talking about, you know, product-led growth and it's just like that, 
you know, holy grail, if you can, if you can hit that, because, you know, on your website, you say, you know, 1.5 million developers build securely using Sneak. I mean, that's just such, you know, scale. It's, it's, it's hard. You know, it's, I think, you know, a lot of companies, a lot of CEOs, a lot of founders focus all their efforts on making the technology incredibly innovative, like uh, solving a new problem and building the next new widget that they want to build and sell. And they spend little time thinking about the go-to-market until it's very late in the process, right? I think the, 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 what made uh, Sneak uh, unique was, yes, it was innovation in the technology, but they combined that technology innovation with go-to-market innovation in that, look, at there's a community of developers that are looking to understand and learn how to be more secure, um, but they needed a tool. So you created a simple tool for them to start using uh, free. And they're giving you all this feedback on the, like, this sucks, this is good, do this. And can you make this this way? And you get all this free data on how to make it better and better and better. And then they started sharing it and it gets viral. And then, you know, five or 10 of these developers start wanting to share and that goes to paid. And then they, then they want to get reporting and they want to integrate it in. And that goes to more developers. And you had this viral adoption in these companies that, you know, was built from the beginning. And the reason why people struggle with this bottoms up motion is because it takes a long time. It takes time. And people and investors get impatient. Okay, I want to accelerate revenue. Hire a bunch of sales rep. Go grab the market. Don't wait for the market. And they change the whole model. And, and you know, you go to top down because it's faster. It's, you know, go grab it. It's, you, need, you need to build a community and then to go to freemium and then build the bottoms up. It takes time. And it's, it's not something that you, you know, you got to be patient and let it evolve. And at the right time, you start adding in that kind of top down. But I think that's the challenge, you know, especially in that VC world, which is grow fast and, and move. They don't have a lot of patience for building that bottoms up and it just takes time. So my message to founders would be like, think about how to make it simple and easy to try and be patient figure out how to optimize that experience and then try to find how to make it viral. And then you get this motion of all these people who are already starting to use it. And then you just got to start bringing them all together and saying, and make it and figuring out, okay, how do I monetize that? And, and that's the trick. Um, but, you know, now it's an incredibly scalable model that, you know, when we go into Japan, we start with the community, then we go to freemium, then we build the bottoms up, and then and then we land in a bunch of accounts, and then we expand. It's a very phased approach, and how we go in geographic expansion, all on the backs of our community. Well, uh, Sneak announced 200 million in funding September of 2020, so last year, and that was after following a January fundraise of 150 million, so just nine months prior. Yeah. Uh, valuation in the last press release was 2.6 billion, which I'm a fan of when companies publish their valuation. Cause I don't think Boston companies do that enough. Everyone's always kind of like flying under the radar. I think there needs to be more, you know, this is a legit scalable company that's swinging for the fences. And I applaud that. Um, so, so what, what is the plan? You did kind of highlight a little bit around the hiring, but you know, so what's, what's the growth plan ahead for, for sneak? Yeah. I mean, there's a, we see this very large market opportunity in front of us. Others see it too, our investors. Most of that money has come from our existing investors. It wasn't like I was, I, I've been here for, you know, over two years, just around two years now. 
we've done three rounds and we were never looking once. I mean, it was our exest, uh, our board members, our investors who said, look at money can't be the issue, run fast, run fast. And yes, we could say, yeah, we built go to market and top down, but that really isn't, I mean, lately it's been a little bit, but it's all about roadmap. It's going from a single product on open source security and we added containers and then we added infrastructure as code. Then we added SaaS and we have this depth and breadth of a platform now that we built that now companies can extend and build on that we were racing towards. So the, the real use was organic and inorganic expansion of our roadmap. And that's still the number one focus area for us because again, it's the bottoms up. Every product, try, you can try it and go. And so the sooner we can get that out the door, the sooner we get the viral adoption and expand. And so it's very much around one platform that all de that developers can use. And then, uh, then it is that it does become that expansion of go to market and, and growing that, that business. But it's much, yes, we have the money. Money is not the reason why we're not growing. Um, you know, we see a large opportunity and we're going to go grab it. You know, think about what it's like, you I mean, to be the, to be the first in your space, developer first security, you know, you know, that's, we, we're, we believe we're number one in this, in the building, helping companies build cloud native applications. And, and uh, we're, we're the only ones that do it today. And, and we believe that speed is our friend. We can't go fast enough and don't let money be the reason we can't take this market over. Wow. Exciting, exciting times ahead for Sneak. So if somebody is, uh, you know, looking to set up their career path where they know kind of like how you knew at one point, like I want to be a CEO. So what advice would you give to others who are looking to advance to a CEO position? Like, should they find a situation where they can be a GM? Should they head up sales somewhere? Should they head up product? Like, like what, what should they do to groom themselves to you know, land a role as a CEO? Yeah, I think, um, you know, you, you, uh, you know, always be learning. I mean, obviously learning to be the best at the role you're in, but also you really learn the other roles, um, you know, by helping other groups, other people. Um, you know, I always say you're going to be a CEO before you are a CEO. You're going to act like a CEO before you're actually a CEO. Um, and so you really have to, you know, get to understand all the aspects of the business somehow. And that's being a, you know, if you're a, a salesperson can learn more about marketing, learn about services, learn about, you know, product marketing, learn the different aspects of the business, uh, finance, um, and then, you know, learn on someone else's dime. So when you're the CEO, you know, now, now the buck stops there. So um, also solicit feedback. You know, I think a lot of times, you know, to be a CEO, you've got to be self-confident. You got to be, you got to, you know, nobody's going to give you a pat on the back. It's a lonely spot. Everybody gives you all the feedback. And usually a lot of times it's negative and you got to have thick skin. And so you've got to be able to take it. You got to be able to take feedback. You know, I always say people are going to give you feedback all day. I get four or five a day. One of them's a gem. The other three, four, I throw away. But I never, I never, I, I never argue a point. I never like I never want people to be afraid to give me feedback because it's the one gem that's worth everything. So 360 reviews and constantly soliciting feedback and take the hard feedback. It's the only way you're gonna get to get to be better is to know what you're not doing well and what you could be better at. And so, you know, and I and then the last is just just you know be humble. Uh, I always say, you know, five dysfunction of a team, you know, um, 
uh, you know, hungry, humble, and smart, you know, you know, egos are the, are evil, you know, when you, you know, people who just, you know, the stereotypical CEO is like, you know, I need to be this rah, rah, you know, evangelist, you know, I got to be out in front and that's usually not a lot of CEOs. I wouldn't call myself that, that way. Um, I'm much more, you know, more of an introvert than an extrovert. Um, and so, um, you know, I think it's, um, you know, it's, you know, make people help people reach bigger and better heights and they don't have to work for you to do that. You know, the more I found I helped others, the better it was for me in my career and was very contrary to when I started, which was all about making myself better. The more I, once I switched the, made that switch about, no, it wasn't about me. It was about me helping others. Did I really become the CEO that, that I wanted to become? And, you know, you have to learn, you have to get over that, that hump. Uh, but a lot of it comes from, you got to be self-aware and self-confident. Now, what, what's the key job for a CEO? Like what's, and, and what makes a great CEO? So what's the core elements that you consider yourself as your, the job as a CEO and what makes a great CEO? You know, I, I think there's a whole bunch of, you know, there's a whole bunch of different profiles that can constitute a CEO. And a lot of it is timing of the company. A lot of it is, um, you know, the industry, the verticals, the markets that they're in. You know, I don't think there is a, you know, a, a model of person um, that is the right, because I think people can become CEOs. I think you got to be able to, I think, first and foremost, you got to be able to relate to people and assess people because you're only as good as the team around you, right? I think that probably the one thing that I've been able to do over the years is is really, you know, understand how to uh, recruit, retain, uh, and, and motivate, you know, incredible talented people. And um, I think you gotta, you gotta be a people person. You gotta know how to get people get the most out of people. Um, and, and I think the, the last I would say is you gotta be able to balance the tactical execution day-to-day -day execution with the long-term strategy. And that's where I think a lot of salespeople who move into management struggle, right? Because they're tactical, tactical, it's quarter. I got to hit the quarter, I got to hit the month. And it's very short-term focused. And they struggle because as you move up in this, the ranks of, of leadership, you got to be quarter, two, three, a year, two years out in front. And that's a, you know, to be able to balance the tactical, hey, I got to deliver on the quarter and I got to think three quarters, four quarters out to plow the way to make sure that the business is ready, you know, that I'm thinking of all the things that could go wrong and where we need to be on the roadmap and the vision and all that. Balancing that is challenging. Um, and, and, you know, some people, you know, are good at one and not the other. And, you know, but that's where you need to round out your team if, if there is a weakness, you know, by all means, I know what my weaknesses are. I make sure that the team I surround myself with complement me very well and very, very, uh, very uh, uh, um, uh, uh, diverse set of skills and thinking and, and gender and religion and geographies and everything. You know, that's what I look for today that I've, you know, maybe, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, wasn't as conscious of just it just makes me better as a leader when I when I have diversity of thought and uh, as all around me as a as a leader. 
Well, one of the challenges for building a successful company is that go to market and like determining your sales strategy as you're just kind of like ready for that next phase of the company. So what advice would you give the founders on that? Like the, the setting up a sales strategy, because I know it would differ depending on models and companies, but sales has changed a lot. I mean, like back when, uh, you know, you were probably just starting out. And I remember when I was starting out, it was, you know, smile and dial and uh, people don't have phones anymore. <laughs> so, so, so go to market kind of sales strategy, building out, you know, high performing sales teams. Like how, how would you advise founders on that? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, look for look for uh, sales leaders that don't that that um, that want to learn. You know, I, I think today the the go to market models are dramatically different than they were you know ten years ago. Um, you know, especially with COVID and digital transformation, cloud, everything is so much faster, so much different. You know, the buying process sixty. 60 plus percent of the buying process is done online before they even talk to somebody. I mean, it's dramatically different. And you have somebody who's done the same model for their whole career and you expect them to come in and do something different. Mm, that's, a, that's hard, right? You need someone who's open, who's done a lot of different types of go-to-market models who come in that's smart, that is you know, not you know, set, so set on their ways that they can't learn different ways of, do, of doing things. I mean, for me, you know, coming into Sneak, I mean, I'm twice the age of everybody that's in this company, or the average age of the company. And, you know, if I came in and said, hey, look, I've done this so many times, I know how to do it, this is my way. You know, no, you gotta come in, you learn. How they do it, what do they do? Because I always defer that they, they have a better way than I. And so I wanna learn their way. And if it, if it isn't, then I go with mine. But if it is, then I'm going with their, that model. And, it, and more often than not, the way they were doing it was far better than what I would have brought to it. And so it's just not having so, you know, that's where the ego and I always have to be the smartest person in the room and, you know, this blueprints just don't, you know, I just don't see it anymore. I just, you know, the good people who I think are, are the, the future are the people who are this, you know, always be learning, always learning, never, you know, you're just first seek to understand, then to be understood. Who's that? Covey or somebody way back when, you know, first go in and understand the buyer, the model, what's tr what you tried before in your past. And then, you know, then try to say, okay, here's, here's some other ideas along the way. So just some feedback. I tell that to everybody who comes into that. I hire every executive that I bring in, you know, Hey, don't do anything in the first 30 days. Think a little bit on the next 30 days and then start building your plan in the next 30 days, then start doing stuff. But don't come in, guns a-blazing and start making changes without knowing what you're talking about. So that always learning. So what, like, what, what, what do you recommend? Like, are there books out there that you would recommend? Are there any podcasts or anything out there that, yeah. that you think would be useful? <clears throat> I, I rifle through books on Audible almost one a week. So um, I'm a, you know, books, podcasts. I'm a junkie. I'm a data junkie. I, you know, you'd say by, you know, 30 years, I probably read every book, but every book I read, I get something because everything's in a different context. There was a, you know, crossing the chasm or, you know, start with the why or culture map, all these books just just point out one or two things that you just forgot about or wasn't relevant the first time you read it, but now it's really relevant. Blitz scaling, you know, look at, there's so many of these awesome books out there and you don't have to, 
to believe everything in the book. All you need is one or two things to take out of a book that's worth your time, especially in Audible. Speed it up, 1.2, 1.5, 1.2 times if it's boring. You know, just just crunch through it and uh, it just helps you think differently. And I do it on runs, bikes, you know, uh, walks, driving in my car, I'm always listening to something. I just love it. It's just, uh, it's for, for someone who's like, uh, you know, ADD and never wants to slow down. That's, uh, it's for, it's like a junkie. It's uh, give me more of that stuff. So anyways, I think I'll be that way until the day I retire, whenever that is way down the road. So why do you keep doing this? Like, why, why do you keep, I love it. It's, it's a blast. I, you know, I love it. I, you know, I enjoy what I do every day. I enjoy, you know, seeing people get to things that they've never done before and, you know, reach new heights and, you know, um, you know, look at the, you know, you mentioned when we first started all these people that I've worked with over the years going on and doing bigger and better things. And, you know, that's my legacy. You know, I want to walk away someday and just look back and say, geez, did, did uh, a whole slew of people have uh, their best experience uh, working with me than uh, any other any other person they've worked with, and and that's that's what I, that's what motivates me today than than how much money I make or how big the success is or you know the money stuff is is never been the primary motivator for me. It's always been the the team and the the family uh, the people around uh, has has made it so so exciting so uh, so um, uh, fulfilling for me. Well, you just gave a little glimpse of this, but what do you like to do outside of work? Oh, I like to, I do triathlons and I did an Ironman a year ago. Uh, wow. So yeah, yeah, I do a lot of biking, swimming and running. It's been, uh, it's, uh, uh, it's what keeps me going. I, you know, again, I, I can't just do one thing. I got to do five of them. You know, I got to do swimming, bike and running. I do them all week. I do it all the time. It plays to my, uh, you know, attention deficit, maybe. I don't know, but I love it. I need the fresh air. And I have three kids that keep me busy uh, at various times. It's, uh, it's been, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Well, let's uh, wrap up with a plug for sneak hiring. Like, so you have some aggressive hiring plans. So I think people should be checking out your job openings on VentureFizz then. Absolutely. We got a lot of great roles. Just get in. That's all I would say. Get in the door. You know, yeah, well, this job may be a little below me or not in the right spot or just get in and you'll gravitate. You'll move from there. There's so many openings. And so we promote from within. Just get in the door. And this, you know, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll be challenged in no time because what we don't have is enough capacity for people to take on more of the things that we have to do. So if you come in and you could do more, you'll get more. So welcome to the, you know, to look at the website and uh, anything I can do to help, they can always reach out. Awesome. Well, Peter, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your professional journey and obviously all the, the great advice. And here's to Sneak being another just great pillar company in the Boston tech scene. Awesome. Great to be on. Thanks, Keith. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.